Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm Dr. Kelly Jones. And this is Big. Strong. Yes. Welcome to Big Strong Yes, the show where we share our journey of reading three books that are inspiring us to embrace courage, creativity, and the call to adventure. Rising Strong by Dr. Brene Brown, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, and Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. Today's reading is Year of Yes, Chapter 13, Yes to Dancing It Out with the Right People, Chapter 14, Yes to Who I Am, and Chapter 15, Yes to Beautiful, which takes us to the end of the book. Oh, my God. I cannot believe it. (laughs) I know. Next week's episode will be our Year of Yes finale. And the following week is our Big Strong Yes finale episode. Oh, my God. I mean, wow. (laughs) We're here. We're at the end. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? It really is. It really, really is. Oh, my God. And we want to hear your voices. Please call in to the Chipperish hotline at 302-643-CHIP. That's 302-643-2447. And give us your thoughts on your experience with Year of Yes. What did you think of the book? What did you think of the fact that Dr. Kelly and I just started telling our own stories and going (laughs) off book? (laughs) How has this experience inspired you to tell your own stories? And what did that do for you? What did you say yes to? We want to hear all that from you guys. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. We want to hear from you. So call in and be part of the Year of Yes finale. Yeah. So, But we also got some pretty amazing news today as we're getting ready to record this. Yeah. That it might be the end of Big Strong Yes, but it's not the end of you and me podcasting together. Absolutely not. We hit our next stretch goal over at Chipperish uh, Media, patreon.com. So everybody who is a Patreon supporter, thank you so much. Uh, We hit the $2,000 a month goal, and that gets us Still Dead, the Angel podcast. The the companion series to Buffy the Vampire Slayer is Angel. And uh, it's fantastic. You love it. Um, I love it. So we're going to be doing that podcast together. And I'm so excited about doing that with you and talking about stories and talking about angel and it's going to be really fun it's going to be fantastic and i am so excited so thank you everybody for making this happen yeah so anybody who you know is sad about the idea of kelly and and me not uh podcasting together anymore uh don't be sad because we're going to be doing the angel which is five seasons (laughs) so that is going to be keeping us going for years and like (laughs) this is where my whole emotional crate came from so yeah, right, exactly. Like I know. So now there won't everybody be everybody who watches over. Angel with us will will see the BSY influence or the Angel influence. We'll talk about BSY. That's right. <laughs> so that just gave a huge happy note to the week. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, it really did. That's very exciting. I'm excited yeah. to do that project. That's going to be a lot of fun. Yep. So how was your homework from last week? Well, my homework was to write the chapter of the How Story Works book about my preaching of story. Mm-hmm. So it was to, to write the story, hallelujah, right? And as I wrote it, it kind of felt like a forward to the book, you know, kind of like an introduction, um, giving context for my bro- approach to talking about story. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are two things that I haven't really been doing in the last year very much. One of them is writing and the other one is listening to music. That I've noticed that I just, I can't listen to music. There are only, there are very few exceptions. I can listen to the Crazy Ex-Girlfriend soundtrack. (laughs) It's a good one. (laughs) 
because my daughter and I sing that together, and so that one I can listen to, and I can listen to the the songs from Buffering the Vampire Slayer. Well, hell yeah, yeah, because, <laughs> because they're, they're fantastic, amazing. right? You know, um, but I I can't like listen to music at all, and I can't write like I, I write scripts, you know, for the various podcasts that I do, and I've kind of reclaimed that space. But when I sat down to actually like write it was it was really hard which writing usually isn't that hard for me you know mm-hmm. um and i think it's because both of these things kind of work in a space within me that has has been in that scorched earth you know yeah. um that that place it's they access kind of a, a central part of who i am and and it makes it really difficult like you know how when your foot falls asleep and it goes completely numb yeah you know and then when it's coming back it hurts like hell, mm-hmm. like it's pins and needles and it's awful, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of what this space is for me. Like when I go into that space, there's just all of this pain and I avoid it, you know? And music speaks to your like emotional center. There's something magical about music that just can access all of that emotion. I think it's it's just too much. Like what I have is just too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't listen to music without just crying like it doesn't even matter what kind of music it is it doesn't matter if it's music that I have listened to for ages or if it's music that I listen to you know with him it doesn't matter like all of it I just I can't listen to it and so writing and listening to music has been really really hard so but I walked into this space because you gave me homework (laughs) and I was like all right I'm gonna do it you know and I managed to write a little bit like a little bit of that forward well, it doesn't have the fire that my writing usually has, or at least that I feel when I'm writing. Um, it was kind of good to get in there and do that. Although it's one of the things that like, I, I think I have to be forced to do it. You know, I keep thinking about that book that I've got that's like, you know, three quarters of the way done. Yeah. And I just want to go in and finish it. But it's, I don't know, it's so hard. And I don't know what that is. It's it's kind of scary that I have this place, this part of myself that I just, I can't go near. It makes sense. And as yeah. someone who has read three-fourths of that book, I really want to know how it ends. So I, <laughs> <laughs> if, if, I, if I didn't have ethics as a professor, I would assign that as BSY homework. But <laughs> oh. that's not fair, so I'm not going to do it. <laughs> well, so how did your homework go? So... I think I struggled with this too. Well, actually, I know I did <laughs> because I finished my homework, oh, like an hour before we recorded. Uh, my homework was to use the sadness to do some creative writing. So mm-hmm. I will confess, y'all, I resisted the hell out of this and <laughs> procrastinated like a boss <laughs> because I didn't want to. Um, yeah. <laughs> so right now writing hurts and it feels mm-hmm. impossible. Um, mostly I just feel lost and stuck, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm treading water and sadness and inspiration sitting over there on the shoreline, like bored and waiting for me to quit crying and get back to work. And like, <laughs> <laughs> even with the awareness that that's going on, like I still mm-hmm. can't seem to snap out of it. And right. old story ideas don't seem to fit anymore. New story ideas are elusive Um, I did go and actually pull, like I actually curated and got together a bunch of files from my laptop and a bunch of handwritten things, like different story ideas that I haven't looked at in years. Um, And it was sort of startling 
for a few reasons, because apparently <laughs> themes don't go away. And yeah. like I was reading stuff from five, 10, 15 years ago that mm-hmm. still have some of the same themes. Like there's oh, yeah. there's fire and there's thunder and there's, mm-hmm. you know, magic. And, and this it, it's like the, these themes are, I don't know if that's just part of me or part of what I'm drawn to write about. But like even in that oldest work, it's still there. Yeah. And yep. that was sort of scary and surprising <laughs> like I'm like yeah, it can be oh my god I have literally had this same idea in my head for 15 years Jesus God how do I make it go away like it was kind of yeah. funny um <laughs> so I think now I am a woman in search of story because uh-huh. I have no clear idea what to write about and of yeah. course like it always seems to happen this way that the last fucking thing I want to do is the thing I end up doing right because, like <laughs> memoir is the thing I said I never wanted to write. Like, yes, never. Mm-hmm. I didn't. Yep. <laughs> There's no goal for this. This is not what mm-hmm. I want. But it's the only space that feels open to me right now. So, yeah. like, I tried my hardest to turn into fiction. Um, mm-hmm. There are a few story ideas in my head and on, on my computer right now that I really like. Um, mm-hmm. But one of them is lost to me. I can't. And one of them mm-hmm. is too painful to go back to. And the other, while I really like the premise and it's kind of snarky, it requires world building <laughs> that requires decisions. And like yeah. my baffled brain right now. Well, see, like you did that writing. Like you sent me some discovery writing from that. And as far as I was concerned, that fulfilled your homework. Oh, good. So like this writing that you did today, this extra writing, I just felt like that was bonus. Oh, <laughs> okay. That the world building that you did on that on that one really, really cool story, um, you know, as far as I was concerned, fulfilled your homework. Oh, well... I didn't feel like I had done it. So I had to go back and actually do some real like (laughs) actual prose. Um, But you told me it could be a page. Yes. So instead of trying this with fiction, I leaned back into the damn memoir and wrote another page um, Mm -hmm. only after I remembered that I need music to write. Uh And like, God, why do I resist the things that I know I need? Like, this is my, (laughs) like, I just don't understand (laughs) this about myself Mm -hmm. because music hurts too, but it's a different kind of pain. And it's like a concert between me and the song and the sadness and the sharing of it makes it possible to bear. Like Mm -hmm. music pulls pain out of me and gives it form. It gives me a river to cry down. It gives me an Mm -hmm. echo. That reminds me, people have always survived heartache, and I'll survive it too. But I think, like, music pays reverence to story and to love and to carrying on and to collaboration and to enchantment. And it's its own form of magic. Mm -hmm. Music lifts me and heals me and inspires me and embraces me and fills me. And it gives me a form of surrender, like a way to tap into both sorrow and joy that I I just can't access in silence. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like music moves me at the core of my soul and it always has. Mm-hmm. And I have this thing I completely made up with like no training, no spiritual guidance. I have no idea even why I started doing this or anything, mm-hmm. but I call it falling into music. And it's mm-hmm. like the only form of meditation that I've ever been able to do. And I don't even think it's real meditation. It's just like the closest I can come. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> but I don't think I can live without music. And mm-hmm. I've gone through periods of not reading, um, kind of like self-inflicted blocks or, yeah. you know, some kind of form of punishment. 
long <laughs> periods of time without TV or movies in grad school, and I mean years, um, and long periods of time without creative writing. But if you look across my whole life, there have only been a handful of days without music. Yeah. And they were not good days. <laughs> you know? And plus, I don't always have a choice in the matter because lyrics kind of get seared into me. Like sometimes I can mm-hmm. memorize a song having heard it once. And, oh, wow. and the lyrics are like hardwired into synapses of memory. And I usually wake up with a different song in my head every morning. And there's always a song playing in my mind. Like mm-hmm. I can't remember my own phone number half the time, but I know lyrics. <laughs> And it's just weird. Um, And lyrics are sort of the easiest thing for me to write, though I don't write them particularly Mm -hmm. well. And I've had no real musical training whatsoever. But music and poetry are kind of one and the same, right? Mm -hmm. They're love and life set to rhythm, reminders that I'm connected to the song at the center of the world and all of its glorious magic. And I'll play music all day. But lately, I haven't been using it to try to write. Because I resist everything when I'm sad. That's why. But, you know, BSY homework must be done. And so after a week of like (laughs) literally being frozen in front of an open Word document, I and and like unable to write a damn thing, I finally said, oh, fuck me. I need music. (laughs) And went back to Spotify. Um, Uh So the song today was Sam Smith's Pray. Mm-hmm. which is a beautiful song and one that I really liked. And when nothing else worked for the writing, those lyrics gave me a prompt because mm-hmm. they made me think about prayer and why we do it. And this led me down the dark, twisty path of memories of my own religious upbringing. And I was able mm-hmm. to write a page in the memoir. Yeah. One page. <laughs> it was good. It was really oh, good. Thank you. It's nowhere near poetry. It's not even solid prose yet. It needs a lot of revision and hell. It needs some damn direction. But I wrote a page that did not exist before. Aw. Well, that's great. Good. So how do you feel now that you went back to the music and you did that writing? Stubborn. <laughs> hard-headed as hell like fighting myself for absolutely mm-hmm. no reason and completely un like i don't understand why it has to be this way can you frame that in a positive way that you accomplished this thing even though you didn't want to do it oh sure <laughs> <laughs> i do forget i'm podcasting with a woman who named her company chipperish Yes. Let's right. look at the bright side, y'all. <laughs> I wrote it page. Look at the fucking bright side, yes. <laughs> That's the motto of the company. Look at the fucking bright side. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Reframe that shit, bitch. <laughs> Reframe that shit, bitch. Oh, God. I want that on a t-shirt. <laughs> All right. I'll work out. <laughs> so, Yeah. So anyway, so how are your reflections in the last week? Oh, God. Um, Let me see. I don't know. Like last week, last episode, I had this like really, I was in this really like cheerful space, mm-hmm. you know, and I was like, yeah, everything's great. Da, da, da. And that was like, that was awesome. But now I'm back in like more of a normal Lonnie space. <laughs> Or at least a a new normal Lonnie space. Um, I've been reclaiming like a lot of space in my life. Last week, I launched Listen Up A-Holes, which is a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast with my co-host and good friend, superhero scholar Joshua Unruh of Pulp Diction Productions. And it's so So, good. It's so good. Thank you. I love it. Thank you. It was really, it was really 
fun. Like I'm very proud of it, mm -hmm. you know, but it was so hard. Yeah. Um, I had done a Marvel podcast uh, with number two that was very similar to this. As a matter of fact, I reused the art, reused the music. You know why? Because I did them on the original podcast and I liked them. So, Damn right. <laughs> so I used them again. Um, but reclaiming that specific ground, you know, for myself was kind of terrifying. I've had to reclaim so much and it is so hard. Everything I take back is so hard, you know? And um, one of the things that I'm becoming increasingly aware of, especially as listeners have come to me in droves. And when I say in droves, I'm not talking one, I'm not talking five, I'm talking like 30, 40 people have sent me emails over the course of the last year saying that, you know, they hated the way that number two talked to me on those podcasts. They hated the way that he would constantly interrupt me. He would talk over me. He would challenge everything I said. And I mean, when I say he challenged everything, like he challenged everything. And when we were married, I always kind of thought that it was because I was wrong so often, no. you know, and he was, you know, but it was, it was just that that was how he made me insecure about myself and my intelligence so that I would let him, you know, basically run all over me. Um, and I knew that he had undermined me privately, but I didn't realize how public it all was until I got so many of these messages from people. Um, it was kind of overwhelming how many of these messages I got from people who were saying, you know, this is something that I noticed. It bothered me when you guys were, you know, podcasting together. And now I understand it. Yeah. You know, now that I know what he's done, it makes sense. You know, absolutely. Um, and so, like, I, I, I genuinely thought that I was just wrong and stupid and useless oh, and all of this kind of God, stuff. And no. that he was covering for me, that he was oh. talking over me to prevent me from embarrassing myself. Like, Oh, my God. No. <laughs> yeah. No. I don't know. I don't know. But, I mean, that was a fear. Like, it's a fear. When the person who's supposed to love you more than anybody else treats you like you're stupid, you know? I mean, it makes you think that maybe you are, you know? And... So anyway, like you and I started BSY and I wasn't nervous at all about doing that. And I mean, part of that may be because, you know, you're a woman, it's a different dynamic. It's not covering ground that I had covered with him, you know, right. but when I started podcasting with Joshua, I mean, I was really nervous about it, mm -hmm. um, partially because we were doing the same thing that I'd done with number two. We were covering the same material, you know, and um, and part of it is because Joshua is a smart man, but he has, unlike number two, like legitimate expertise, you know, <laughs> yeah. so he's really super smart. He's actually smart. But anyway, so I was podcasting with Joshua and I was so nervous because I was really afraid that he would, you know, he would also override me, that he would tell me that I was wrong, not because he was being mean, but because number two was right the whole time. And I really am no good at this. And I really am stupid and useless, you know. Um, and I didn't realize how much number two made me feel like that until I started recording these episodes with Joshua in this, you know, very similar dynamic, this very similar kind of space. And, um, and when we started, I mean, I was unsure whether I'd even be able to follow through on it. I, I didn't know if I'd be able to continue it or whatever. So we started out with this very clear boundary that we're just going to record these. And if they never go out, if we never continue it, if we just stop it, like he was really um, respectful of me and where I was. And if I wasn't going to be able to do it if it was too hard then he was fine with just not doing it yeah. you know he just wanted to have the experience of podcasting with me whether it ever went out public he was fine you yeah. know um 
And so we were also producing this podcast during the time when BSY24 came out. I went public with the worst of what had happened during the marriage to number two. Um, and Joshua was there with me, like behind the scenes. He was so supportive, you know, mm -hmm. holding my hand through that whole thing. Yep. And that was huge for me, you know. Yep. And in the first few episodes, I don't know if you can hear it. I can. But I'm tentative. Yeah. I, yeah, you can I hear can it. Hear can it. Well, I told you, but I think you would, someone would have to know you really, really well. Like mm -hmm. a, a regular listener, you, I mean, you sound fantastic all the way through and the two of you are great together. Mm -hmm. But when you hit the point where you started having fun, I yeah. could hear it. You could tell the oh, difference. Oh yeah. And I'm so yeah. glad that that space with Joshua worked out that way for you. Yeah. I mean, well, the thing is, is that Joshua is able to be smart and insightful without stepping on me to do it. Mm -hmm. Like he made me feel safe and he listened to what I said without telling me I was wrong all the time. You know, <laughs> he even appreciated what I had to say. And I don't know, respected my expertise. Yeah, so which like, you that was have. Really nice. <laughs> right. Which I have. Which but have. so does he. Like he knows this. He knows his stuff. Mm -hmm. He's so smart. And he has all this expertise. And he's genuinely smart and confident. And the thing is that genuinely smart and confident people make you feel smart and confident. You know, so yeah. it's, it's, it's one of those contagious things, you know. And he didn't need for me to take up less space in order to make him feel bigger, you mm -hmm. know. And so... By the time we got to the last of the six episodes that we, we dropped them last week, you know, um, I am different. I'm, I'm having fun and I'm bold. And one thing that I could never do with number two at all was tease or criticize him in any way, you know. Uh. But with Joshua, we have this outtake at the end of the episode about Avengers, you know, and where I teased him because he opened up and he said podcasts mm -hmm. instead of podcasts, you know. <laughs> And it is, it's such a silly little thing or whatever. I put it at the end of the episode, you know, um, but I would never be able to do that with number two. And even in the moment that I was saying that to Joshua, like I felt really nervous about it, you know, and then he just laughed and he teased me back and he was like, oh, shut up, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and it was really fun. And I was, and I said, I'm like, we're more like brother and sister every week, you know, which is exactly the dynamic of our relationship. And I don't know if he knows what it means to me to have that kind of safe sibling relationship, you know, but it really means the world. I mean, when I was a kid, if I had teased my brother like that, like he would have hit me, yeah. you know, and with number two, he would have gotten angry and upset and made me pay for it in some passive aggressive way, you know, later on. Um, but Joshua just laughed and just joked back with me. And I felt safe enough to include it as an outtake at the end of the show. And that seems like a very small thing. But for me, it was really huge, mm -hmm. you know, and like right now, there is no way that I'm feeling safe in a like romantic relationship with a man. Like that's not going to happen for a long time. I don't even know if that's ever going to happen. I don't know if I'm ever going to trust anybody again. Like I honestly, I don't know if that's ever going to happen, you know, but I don't want to be afraid of men. I don't want to like, I don't want to have no men in my life. So having Joshua in my life in this kind of like brotherly space, you know, and he gives me a safe space where I can be smart and I can speak, you know, and it's like a really big deal for me. I mean, he's doing that thing for me that brothers and fathers are supposed to do, you know, the safe men in your life who, you know, will be there for you, never see you as something to be conquered or subdued or used, you know? Yeah. And I'm so grateful for that. So that has been like kind of one of the biggest things that's happened to me in a while, so you glad. know, being able to have that, yeah. you know, and the, and the podcast is great. We dropped it. It's so fun. It's and so people good. are really responding to yeah. it. So yeah, it's, it's so been a good. lot of fun. And I'm so glad that it's, you know, working yeah. that way and it is that kind of safe and fun collaboration. And, um, and he really knows his stuff, you know, he's, 
He does. Very smart. But I will say, like, I do appreciate his humor, kind of the lightheartedness mm-hmm. that he brings, even though yeah. he does it with a lot of intelligence. But when you were talking about BSY24, mm-hmm. um, you know, when that episode dropped, it, it kind of dropped with a big boom. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, it did. Um, mm-hmm. And we got so many messages. And I mean, it was amazing. Yeah. Um, and, and so many, you know, words of encouragement and words of solidarity. And I mean, it was incredible, but it was also a little overwhelming. Yeah. At least for me. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, my God. Like, still the thought of, like, people listening to that. I just, I can't quite get over it. But that day, Joshua sent me a message. And he was like, Do you want to talk about comic books? <laughs> oh. And I was like, oh, oh God, no. yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly who he is right? he's so like he can sit there like he'll sit with me in my pain when I'm upset like he'll sit with me with it but he doesn't get too I don't know too into the bad parts like yeah. he can always sort of like lighten it up and like you know and bring it to a space that's just easier mm-hmm. you know which is really nice yeah, it is it's great so I'm so yeah. glad that that's working and the show is fantastic and what you each bring to oh, it. I mean, you. it's a great dynamic and it's a great podcast. And you've got me watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which I resisted <laughs> the hell out out of. Because but it's amazing, isn't it's it? It's so good. Oh, my God. It's so good. I know, it's right? It's so good. I love Agents like of S.H.I.E.L.D. bawling yeah. in front of my television over Fitzsimmons. And I'm like, <laughs> it's so I good. Know. Fitzsimmons. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> yes. All right. So how are your reflections for the past week? Well, um, it was a week. So <laughs> it was a week. Right after we recorded last week's episode of BSY, I turned 40. <laughs> you did. Happy birthday, baby. Thank you. I was <laughs> dreading this birthday. Um, it was bad enough turning 40. Um, I was turning 40 in a sad space and I was just not oh. like, I was not into this at all. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it ended up being really awesome. Thanks to you Aww. and Noelle and Brianna and the BSY community and like, I was showered with such a ridiculous amount of affection and love. Like, yeah. I can't even. I was, like, left speechless. No, it's not a ridiculous amount. Uh, it's the amount that you deserve. It was crazy. Uh, the thoughtfulness <laughs> and generosity of friends, like, literally crying and screaming at the same time when I opened oh. <laughs> presents. I know. Oh. I know. And the BSY people, God, you guys sent her... So much stuff. They sent me stuff. I got like birthday overload from yeah, you. Yeah, it, it was crazy. So great. And <laughs> they did so much stuff. Yeah, and it was just amazing. And one of the other things that they did too was the money to Vera House, yes. which is the the domestic violence um, shelter place where I go and get my therapy. And that was, God, uh, just the most incredibly meaningful thing. It was amazing. And they they put yeah. it in the name of BSY. Um, yeah. And when I read that, I just bulb i mean it was just so I cool know, me too and you know they sent me gifts and you made me my own hashtag and like i got love I all did. day and like, <laughs> you sent me to the salon and it was lovely I and did. like all these presents and writing gear and like self-care wonders and handmade yeah. art oh god it was so wonderful and song lyrics handwritten I by the know. buffering cast girls and i can't even because jenny and kristen like i can't i love you so and much they sent you a little love they note did. didn't they they put a love they note on did. it like, it was amazing they said they love they love dr kelly i uh, know which is so cool it was so cool yeah. so it just felt like 
like this celebration of story and mm-hmm. collaboration because people went together. Like there were yeah. almost 30 people that went in on that donation. So they all I collaborated know. together and like collaboration is a gift. It was just amazing. So yeah, I was incredible, amazed and flummoxed and deeply moved. And yeah. the birthday celebration continues this weekend because I had to postpone because um, two of my dearest are taking me to the Novel Neighbor bookstore to spend my gift yeah. certificate. But we're going to see Black Yay. Panther and I can't wait. <laughs> so we had to put it off until Black Panther was playing. But I'm going to go Aww. see it this weekend. And then I get to listen to you That's and Joshua fun. talk about it. Yeah. That makes mm-hmm. me happy. So and I also got a chipperversary. Because Chipper's yes. turned one year old. Congratulations. Yes. Yes. Two days after your birthday. Yes. That's the Chipperish birthday. That's fantastic. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you launched yeah. Listen Up A-Holes. And then we found out that Chipper's hit the goal for Still Dead. So yeah. all in all, damn good birthday. It's been a pretty good, <laughs> it was pretty good. Pretty good week. Yeah. So thank you, everyone, for all of the happy wishes and the fierce kindness. Um, yeah. And I felt like guilty as hell for falling back into sadness after such an outpouring of love, you know, but the sadness is fucking real and just really seems to enjoy my company. Like we had said, creativity is in love with you. Girl, this sadness has the fucking hots for me and it will not (laughs) let go. Oh, baby. Thinking about Elizabeth You got Gilbert. yourself a bad boyfriend. Yes, right? <laughs> like, oh, my God. Please stop parking your motorcycle out front of my house. Like, it's enough. <laughs> Standing out there with a boombox over his head. <sighs> I mean, yeah. seriously. And since I don't have the crate anymore, like, I can't just lock it up. Because yeah. mm-hmm. fucking courage over comfort. And whose idea was that anyway? <laughs> like, Not mine. Not mine. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> and so you told me to try to use the gremlin, like to Elizabeth yeah. Gilbert my way, by anthropomorphizing yeah. a demon to hold the sadness for me. But like this gremlin is either like not interested or not up to the task. <laughs> like, I don't know. Maybe it's just wanting to watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Falling down on the job. Kind of yeah. falling down on the job. But I did go back to Elizabeth Gilbert um, in mm-hmm. kind of an unexpected way. So for my birthday, a friend gave me this awesome book. It's called Light the Dark, Mm -hmm. Writers on Creativity, Inspiration, and the Artistic Process. And it's this gorgeous collection by almost 50 writers, including Neil Gaiman and Elizabeth Gilbert. Wow. And you know I immediately turned to the chapter by Elizabeth Gilbert. Sure. (laughs) And her chapter was called In Praise of Stubborn Gladness. Mm -hmm. And so the beginning starts out a lot like Big Magic, but she goes more deeply into the poetry of Jack Gilbert. Mm -hmm. And her idea of stubborn gladness and and why she always wants to pursue it. And so on page 17 of that book, she quotes this poem by Jack Gilbert. And he said, we must risk delight. We can do without pleasure, but not delight, not enjoyment. We must have the stubbornness to accept our gladness in the ruthless furnace of this world. Mm -hmm. And then Elizabeth Gilbert went on to say, this defines exactly what I want to strive to be. A person who holds on to stubborn gladness, even when we dwell in darkness. I want to be able to contain both of them within me at the same time. Remain able to cultivate joy and wonder, even at life's bleakest. Wow. Right? Yeah. I mean, damn. She's, she's so just good. amazing. She's so good. She's so good. And, she, and I love this so much. But mm-hmm. like for all that I wish I was like Elizabeth Gilbert, I'm really not like at all. <laughs> I'm not like a joyous creature. I'm not chipper. 
<laughs> I'm nowhere near being a Pollyanna. Like, I'm just not, yeah. <laughs> you know. But I am a romantic. Yeah. And I do want to find my own version of stubborn gladness. So I thought about this and, and kind of wrote about it a little. And the closest I can come up with right now is curious desire. Mm-hmm. Of like the wanting of wanting, mm-hmm. the love of learning, right? Yeah. And that's what the fire in me feels like. And it's still there. Like it might be wavering a little in the wind of all the sadness, but it's burning surely enough just Good. the same. Yeah. And I want to learn how to nurture it and how to fan those flames for real. And so that was when I kind of realized that's what I want to say yes to. Like I want to say yes to the fire. Okay. I like that. Well, that's some good reflection. Yeah. Very cool. But mostly it was happy birthday. Yay. (laughs) Happy birthday. (laughs) So how about the reading? Like we had the last three chapters. I know. It's kind of crazy. Isn't it crazy? crazy. Um, Yeah. I I don't know. Like I, I don't know what it is. If it's just my week or whatever. I don't really have, I didn't really respond as much to these chapters as I have to like the things before. So I'm glad that you responded a lot because then you can kind of (laughs) cover for me this week. Um, I think that's a very chipper way of saying, damn, Kelly, you wrote a lot. (laughs) No, it's not. It's, it's, saying that I I dropped the ball this week um but oh, I just did didn't not. I just didn't have much when I was thinking about it but um but I like this on on page 245 she says nothing was more frustrating than seeing a fellow bitter jaded toxic dark and twisty friend find their way up to the sun like a vampire trying to save one of its own you want to drag them back into the dark I like the whole thing like I liked the mm-hmm. way that she was uh she was talking about that and how like you know when you and, and especially if like you're going through a process like what we've been going through with BSY right but you know when you start to care for yourself you know there are some friends who sometimes have a problem with that and I think that most of my friends you know that I have now have been like cheering me on to like get better and to be happy and all this kind of stuff so I haven't really seen that <laughs> because I'm not a naturally dark and twisty type of person like I, I'm sort of like naturally I'm, I'm fairly you know anybody who's friends with me got friend became friends with me when I was you know happy and chipper and bright sidey and all that kind of stuff <laughs> So usually they're fairly used to that. But I thought that was kind of a, you know, like a a neat, um, a neat way of describing that experience of you start to change, you know, when you start to grow. Sometimes the people around you don't like it that much. You know, even though it's good for you, sometimes it's it's hard for them and they will try to pull you back into the darkness with them. And that can Mm -hmm. be a really tough part of this this whole process, you know, of transitioning, of growing, you know, figuring out what's wrong and fixing it, you know. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then um, but then she had this whole thing where she was talking about these friends who Mm -hmm. were not really friends, you know, these people. Um, And she said on page 52 or 252, the role of Pam is being played by someone named Pam, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, (laughs) but it is not Pam, like who she is. She's writing these characters, you know, in the space of these friends and sort of like putting all of these characteristics on the friends that don't actually belong to them, you know? And I was thinking about that. I'm like, I've done that. A lot. I mean, I did that with my mother, you know, my mother needed to be idealized, you know, she needed Mm -hmm. to be perfect. And so like my whole time growing up, I kept kind of writing this mother, 
you know, who was not my actual mother, but like who was like this very, very smart and very capable and like, you know, really great person who just gives and gives and gives and, you know, suffers and sacrifices and all this kind of stuff, you know. Um, and uh, and I did this also, I think, with number two, although he, he helped. He created this fiction, you know, and I, I believed it. And I wrote this this person who was my husband along with him who wasn't actually the man that I had married, you know. And I ignored what didn't fit into the idea that I had of who he was. And uh, I put way too much emphasis on the times that he made me laugh, you know, and completely sidelined and, and tried to forget the times that he made me feel stupid and worthless and weak. Um, and when you're being manipulated by people who are also working toward this end, it can kind of, uh, you know, solidify that tendency within you to kind of write people the way you want to see them. And to see somebody for everything that they are, to see the good and the bad in them, you know, and it, be able to accept it all as part of them. Like that's love. That's real relationship. And I yeah. have had like fantasy relationships, you know, where I've just taken the good and I completely ignore the bad and I put the bad away and I don't deal with it and I don't address it. And, um, and so as she's talking about like writing these, these people, you know, I can think about a number of relationships I've had that have actually, you know, kind of been like that. And then in the end, they, they end up just going up in flames because that's not how real relationship works. And on page 253, she says, my Pam and my Ken are dead, truly dead. I can't get them back. And the loss is painful. Mm -hmm. And I think about that and like, I still grieve like my Pams and my Kens, you know, I'm still grieving number two. I'm grieving the version of this man that I believed him to be, that I wanted him to be. The man that I loved, you know, is not the man that exists the man that exists is a terrible, terrible person. But the man that I loved, this fiction in my head, that was, it wasn't real, but it was real to me. You know, like I had a real relationship there. And, um, and so I kind of like, you know, when she was talking about this, I really like felt what she was talking about, you know, and then on page 257, she says, I feel a lot of warmth for Pam and Ken, the fictional versions. I don't resent them. I'm grateful for them. They were great friends while I needed them. And whether or not any of the friendship was actually true, it was true for me. But like, even though like number two didn't love me, I mean, obviously didn't love me, can't love, <laughs> you know, um, I loved him. You know, I loved the man that I thought he was and that love was real. And it's really hard for me to reconcile that, you know, because it was it was a fantasy, but it was it was a real experience for me, you know. Of and course. when he changed, when he didn't need me anymore and he changed into this other person, like it was it was a horrifying experience to have. And I still for a long time wanted to believe that the fictional man was the real man and that this change in him was some kind of weird midlife thing or what the hell it was. I didn't know, you know, and I don't know. I mean, I think about it like if I can love and grieve for the man that I thought I married, the man who was my best friend, um, the man who is dead and cannot be saved or resurrected, then the idea of allowing myself to love and grieve for that man is too painful. It's too hard. It is so much easier to just look at who the real man is and hate him. Right. Um, and hating the real person is hard, but it's easier than loving and grieving the fiction, you know, who was real to me, you know, like, I'm not right. sure that I can, that I can do that. I'm not sure that I can survive that. Like, I can't, I can't think of that man. 
that right. person that I thought he was, you know, because yeah. that's, it's, it's just too hard, but I, I want to stop hating him because it's, yeah. a, I don't need that in my life. Like I don't need to hate him forever. Mm-hmm. I don't want any emotional relationship with him at all. I want indifference, you know, yeah. I want to not care. I'm afraid that I can't stop hating him until I acknowledge the love that I had for him. And I'm afraid that I won't survive that. So I try not to do it. I try to just hate him constantly because the hate is what I feel for the person that actually exists. And the love is what I feel for this fictional thing that was maybe real to me, but was never actually real. And like, how do you, how do you process that? Like, I don't know how to do that. I think you have to give yourself a lot of time. Like, indifference comes with time. And it it's going to take a while, you know. And you're still, God, I mean, you've come so far. <laughs> but you're still so at the beginning of this. Yeah. And you have so much healing ahead of you. I just don't want to have to feel that love. Like, I can't. Oh, I don't blame you. I yeah. can't think about that. And I can't. I can't feel that. Of course. You know? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Uh-huh. I'm off topic anyway. <laughs> so no. what did you think about chapter 13? <laughs> well, I shut up and stop oh, crying. Baby. What do you think about chapter 13? What was your I think response? we need to take shut up and stop crying out of our collective vocabulary. <laughs> like we both say that I would never fucking uh-huh. say that to you I ever know. in a million damn years. And you would never say it to me. Yeah. But we say it to ourselves and we need to stop. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, okay. Seriously. All right. Well, I will continue to still cry here while you talk about chapter 13. <laughs> How's that? There you go. That's my chipper friend. That's right. <laughs> so in, in looking at chapter 13, um, yes to dancing it out with the right people, I didn't quite have to go through the pain that you did. Mm-hmm. Um, but on page 244, she, I really like this. She said, yeah. Being dark and twisty gave me permission to not want anything more than the miserable status quo, (laughs) to never love, to never be optimistic. Dark and twisty takes up time and space in my head. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's what that's called. (laughs) Because, like, I struggle with sadness, like what Anna Green Gables called the depths of despair, right? Like, full on drama queen here. And, Dark and twisty can get the better of me if I'm not careful. Like, and I know that about myself. I've been mm-hmm. that way since I was a kid. Yeah. And and it's kind of that, I don't know if it comes from the, the same place as the romantic side of me comes mm-hmm. from, but there's something almost poetic about pain and, and not in the Elizabeth Gilbert, like, <laughs> tormented <laughs> artist sense. Right. But in the, once I know it's there, I can't turn it off. Uh-huh. I don't like it i don't revel in it but i also am incapable of distraction mm-hmm. which makes me so much fun to be around when i'm in this <laughs> sad space but like i know that journaling helps i know that crying helps even though i hate it yeah. and i know that talking to friends helps but when i'm overwhelmed with sadness i don't write and i don't cry and i don't talk <laughs> <laughs> like because right if it works damn it i'm not gonna do it yeah. i'm never easy i don't mm-hmm. it's just crazy um, so I just, I was able to, to laugh at myself when <laughs> I was like, maybe I need to stop saying yes to that. Yeah. Like, that's just kind of funny. Um, but I loved this description that Shonda had of, um, the, the 
character of Christina in Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. Who, as I'm watching it so far, is, is my favorite character. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And she, she talked about the kind of the magic between her as the writer and Sandra Oh as the actor and like the bringing to life of this character. Mm-hmm. And on page 246, she called it a human collaboration into imagination. Yeah. And I just, oh, God, circled it and, like, melted in all the ecstasy. Like, this is as good as it gets for me, (laughs) right? This is it. Like, (laughs) creative collaboration is one of my favorite things in the whole world. Like, nothing brings inspiration to a fever pitch faster than collaborating with someone I'm in tune with. Like, it can be better than laughing, better than singing, better than dancing. I mean, maybe even better than sex. (laughs) Like, shared imaginative space Mm -hmm. is powerful and intoxicating and transformative. And it doesn't happen often. But when it does, like, I revel in it and I'm always grateful for it, even if it doesn't last. And so, like, I really got into what she was saying Mm -hmm. about the collaboration for this, you know, for this character. Um, And then on page 247... She said, I wrote those stories for a reason. Mm-hmm. Those stories made me believe that all things were possible. And I was like, well, damn it. I don't know how to write like that. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to tap into that kind of magic on right. the page. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I believe all things are possible. Yeah. Like, you know, so this this kind of, I don't know if it comes from being an academic or if it just comes from being knocked down one too many times, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would like to believe that. I'd yeah. like to learn how to write like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't have a clue how to do that right now. <laughs> and <laughs> then on page 252, when she started talking about like seeing people for who they really were, mm-hmm. she said, it's not that I no longer feel okay. I am no longer able to do it even if I wanted to. Now that I see it, I can't unsee it. Right. And like, once you see something, mm-hmm. you can't unsee it. Once you yeah. learn, you can't unlearn. And clarity is holy. Like, I always say this. Clarity is holy. Clarity is worth fighting for. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it has a very high price. And yeah. in Shauna's case, things worked out for the best. Mm-hmm. But I wonder about this, though, because sometimes I have been honest when it might have been better to keep my feelings to myself. Like, maybe I should have shut up and just cried and not said the truth of something. Yeah, I don't know. I think, like, my experience, because I have shut up and not said and not spoken so much in my life. mm -hmm. And I think that the consequence of that is is much greater. I think if you're speaking in honesty, you know, and with the best intent, clarity is always the best way to go, I think. I think it is too. It just, it's hard to yeah, live with the reality of it sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's um, a cost either way, but yeah. at least with clarity and with honesty and with expression, you know, you're, you're putting it out there. Yeah. You know? And it, I think it is courage over comfort yeah. again. Mm-hmm. And like your first instinct is to want to, do what's comfortable right so right. I just thought that I was like god that's so easy to say mm-hmm. but living it walking yeah. it doing it it's hard. so much harder mm-hmm. you know it's so much harder um and then I really like this idea on page 254 she said um I now know that the demons out there are some version of me mm-hmm. I'm aware that I am the only one chasing me running me down nipping at my heels 
trying to bite my head off. It's time to be a better friend to myself. Mm -hmm. And I really like this idea of being a better friend to myself. Um, But I don't know if all my demons are a version of me. Yeah. I don't know that I buy into that. Mm -hmm. Like some are versions of people who have hurt me. Mm -hmm. Some are manifestations of pain and regret, which I guess could be a version of me. Yeah. And some are just fear given shape and substance. But that Mm -hmm. fear feels like it's outside. Yeah. Of me. So I don't know. Maybe she's just reached a point of clarity with this that I haven't reached. Mm -hmm. Um, But I did like the idea of trying to figure out what your demons are made of. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was kind of, that was kind of cool. Yeah. To kind Um, of give them a a form. You know, it's like, it's that Elizabeth Gilbert, that anthropomorphizing, right? Mm -hmm. You know, give them form, give them structure, and then you can work with them. Right. And figure out what's in there. Mm -hmm. Like that would be interesting yeah um and then she kind of shifted like to a much happier note and she started talking about they were shooting this really pivotal scene for Mm -hmm. Grey's Anatomy and they needed the perfect song yeah and on page 255 she said we need to find a song I want it to soar Mm -hmm. and I was like oh god I want it to soar yeah how many ways like how many uses for that phrase I just love it um, and she was talking about, you know, dancing and flying and wonder and joy and glory and friendship and love. And she said, this dance is joyful. The dance is triumphant. The dance is a celebration of what you can become. Mm-hmm. And I just fell into this. Like the yeah. layering of music with storytelling is beautiful and wonderful. And um, I've been watching Grey's Anatomy for the first time, basically, because Mandy Kay dared me to in public. <laughs> um <laughs> Because I was such a big chicken when it comes to, you know, all medical procedurals. Yeah, the medical surgical Um, stuff, sure. Yeah, and I still can't stand the surgical scenes. Like, I cannot watch the surgeries. Mm -hmm. But the musicality of the show just moves me. Mm -hmm. And every episode is named after a song. Yes. Mm -hmm. Which is so cool, you know? Yeah. And I liked seeing that kind of come through her perspective in the book mm-hmm. um, and then the last thing that I pulled out of this chapter was on page 258 and she was talking about her ride or die yes tribe mm-hmm. and she said they cheer me on they hold my hand they shove me forward when I want to hide they were telling me to say yes all along they tell me I'm capable of slaying my own demons they are team badassery yeah and I have never been more thankful in my life than now to have a team badassery because yeah. good friends are priceless. And I'm so thankful to have them and you. And I love that our BSY community has become a badassery team, too. Yeah. No, our BSY community is completely bad. It has been such an incredible kind of experience being around all of these people who who get it and who are encouraging each other and are just team badass all the way. So I think we need a shirt that says that, too. Team Badass. Oh, yeah, we do. (laughs) Team Badass. (laughs) So it was good. So what about Chapter 14? Yes to who I am. What did you get out of this? Well, in Chapter 14, you know, I mean, I liked what she was talking about, about, like, yes to who she is, you Mm -hmm. know, knowing that she doesn't want to get married, knowing that this is who she is, um, and kind of accepting that about herself. You know, she said uh, on page 283, the role of Shonda is being played by Shonda, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and um, and I mean, that's kind of a thing that like, I've, I've done a lot in my life. You know, I've tried to make myself into whatever people wanted me to be. This has happened in, in all of my relationships pretty much, except in certain relationships where the, what people want me to be is actually what I am then Mm -hmm. that's okay. (laughs) Like my relationship with you, Kelly, I feel like 
you know who I am. <laughs> You're happy with me the way that I am. So I don't really have I to be you. anything else for you. You know, right? So this relationship, it's working. Um, <laughs> but like other relationships that I've been in, especially like both of my marriages, like I just wanted to be what they needed me to be. You know, and I think that's probably definitely part of the reason why the first one didn't work out. Um, he's a lovely guy, but wasn't a good match. And my mother, like, of course, you grow up like that with a mother like that. You always want to be who they want you to be. And so even from a young age, like, I've never known who I am. Like, you know that um, movie Runaway Bride? Yes. Right? Where she has to, like, spend all that time trying to figure out what kind of eggs she likes. That's right. How do you like your eggs, baby? I, <laughs> she doesn't know. I, I identify <laughs> with that so much yes you know because I will I will like whatever the people around me like so that so that I can be compatible with them or whatever Mm -hmm. like I've always kind of been like that so okay funny story so that movie which is also kind of a delightful movie Uh I mean it has its flaws yes it is I think it's a really good movie so I actually had a group of friends we when we watched that movie we were talking about it one day Mm -hmm. and we were like okay how do you like your eggs for real? So we all sort of did the egg challenge to figure it yeah. out. Um, so I can faithfully and honestly say that I like my eggs scrambled with cheese and mixed into a bowl of grits. Oh, my goodness. So it's there like you a, go. a great thing to know about yourself. <laughs> it is a good thing to know about yourself. I like scrambled with cheese, a little bit of salsa wrapped up in a tortilla, soft oh, tortilla. There you and go. And a little breakfast burrito. Like that's how I like my eggs. There yeah. you go. <laughs> so you've already answered one of the quintessential questions so I've of life. I've already answered one of the essential <laughs> questions of life is I know how I like my eggs. Although I do like other kinds of eggs. Too. I do too. It depends on my mood. Depends yeah, on but my that's mood. just my favorite kind. But um <laughs> but yeah, like on page 286, she says happiness comes from living as you need to, as you want to, as your inner voice tells you to. Happiness comes comes from being who you actually are instead of who you think you're supposed to be, mm-hmm. you know, and that's such a great way to look at it. Yeah. And it's all true. But like, then you have to figure it out, like who you actually are, as opposed to the person that you want to be for other people so that they'll like you or so that they won't judge you or so that, like whatever. Yeah. And that's like, that's a challenge. For me, I mean, and I think that's part of the reason why, like, right now, I'm so like, you know, we're going on this kick of like, you have to fall in love with yourself, you know, <laughs> you're going on a kick of you have to fall in love with yourself and you're dragging me kicking and screaming behind you. <laughs> I am dragging you with me. I'm I trying. am dragging you with me. because I think that it's important. Like, I, I think too. that it's, you know, I've been, my whole life, I've been trying to get other people to love me, mm-hmm. like, so that they can make up for whatever is missing you know but like this idea that you can love yourself and you know it sounds so foreign like as I say it I feel like there are people out there to whom this is just yeah this is how it works of course like you love yourself you take care (laughs) of yourself and when you love yourself other people can love you and that's great but you don't need them to love you to fill like this dark hole you know so yeah like the figuring out how do you like your eggs? Who are you? And like now that I'm I'm single, you know, and I honestly like this is the longest run that I've been single mm-hmm. since I was 22. Like yeah. this is the longest run that I've been without a relationship. 
And I think that it's really important because I've always been like whoever I've been with, I've tried to be whoever they needed me to be or whoever they wanted me to be or, you know, the things that they liked about me, I would focus on those things. And then the other things that they didn't like, I would kind of shove aside, you know, as like and try not to make that try to make that not a part of me anymore, you know, and it, it does result in this essential fracturing of yourself. And um so trying to figure out what it is that I genuinely like as opposed to what it is that I have pretended to like because the person I was with liked it. That's kind of, it's, it's a bit of a challenge, but like I can only do that while I'm single. I can only do that while I'm not in a relationship. So like I need this time. I don't know, like honestly, the idea, like I think I'm dead inside. I don't think I can love again. I don't think You're I can trust again. Inside. I don't think it's ever going to happen. <laughs> it's never going to happen. I'm dead inside. But like, but I mean, the thing is like if I can at least learn to love myself, like maybe that's that's what I need to do. But even as I say the words, like on the one hand, it sounds really good. It sounds right. I think it's right. Yeah. But on the other hand, as I say it, love myself. It's ridiculous. It's <laughs> it is this it's not ridiculous. Concept. It's ridiculous when you tell me to do it. It's not <laughs> ridiculous right. for you to do it. When I think about you falling in love with Dr. Jones, I think that that's cool. You oh, know, please. But listening <laughs> to you like right now and, and maybe like <laughs> maybe our, our listeners will laugh at this because they probably will. Maybe yeah. this is obvious to everyone except me until this very second. But I just had this realization like <laughs> how you and I are completely different because yeah. You talk about like, you know, shaping yourself to be loved and, you know, so that person will love you and all that. I pretty much always assume that they're never going to love me. And mm -hmm. if they say they do, I'm going to convince them that they don't with footnotes, evidence and like <laughs> data to back up all the reasons that they should not. Yeah. And yeah. just kind of then make that true. Um and I just like kind of realized we are so completely at opposite ends of the spectrum on that. And yeah. I don't know why, but it cracked me up because it's really not funny. <laughs> no, it's not. It's I very, mean, it's very really sad not. is what it is. <laughs> it's very, very bad. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, because I have seen you do that. I have seen you know, like if anybody loves you, you're just like, no, that's not. You know, like you got this outpouring of love on your birthday. I know. And you were so shocked by it. Yeah. By the idea that, that people love you enough to go to that kind of trouble for you. You know, and we all do <laughs> because you are lovable and you are wonderful <laughs> and you're Dr. Jones, you know, <laughs> and a PhD in badassery, my friends. Oh, um, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, you know, it is. It is. And like, the thing is, like, I think part of me too, like, even though like, I would twist myself around to try to be what somebody could love. I don't think I don't think you and I are that far from each other, though, because, because I don't believe that who I am, the way that I am is lovable. So I have to change that. And right. only when I'm not me, can I be loved by somebody? Mm, you I know? love you exactly for you. I'll, I love <laughs> you exactly all. for you, but, but you got to love you and uh, I got to love me. And it's all weird. I don't know how to do that. That's just weird. That it is weird. Yeah, it is weird. And it feels a little like hippie, you know, for me. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> well, I like it though. It's good to watch you do it. It's good. I so. don't know. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Like I got to This is like, I, it, it's, I intellectually know that's what I got to do. Mm -hmm. Emotionally, it is not comfortable. 
it feels weird. It feels gross. It feels, I don't know, like it just, it feels stupid. It feels like one of these like self-helpy things. <laughs> now As you I sound say, like me, where all vulnerable emotions make me feel stupid. <laughs> let's, right, not, no. let's not share that. I mean, well, I've, I've got a little bit like I, I can, you know, share my vulnerability and everything, but I've got this part of me that is like that. That's like, okay, this is all stupid. Like, you know, I mean, here we are on the 29th episode of essentially what is a podcast about self-help, about <laughs> self-help, right? And I'm like, but it's all self-helpy and stupid. Like, you know, because I hate that. I mean, I am how many constantly episodes, at war with myself. How right. many episodes ago was it when Brene Brown talked to us about lovability and we both were like, yeah. Oh, okay. we're like, screw you. Brown. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. I know. I know. God. Mm. But yeah, I mean, it's, I don't, I don't know. Like, I know this is, I know this is the way it needs to be. And yet I am inherently uncomfortable with that whole thing, with the whole like love yourself thing, with the whole like, you know, figure out what eggs you like, like all this kind of stuff. (laughs) I'm like, why can't I just be snarky and sarcastic and go through life that way? Well, I, I think I rock at that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what did you get out of chapter 14? Well, here's the thing. Yes. About chapter 14. (laughs) So there were two chapters of year of yes. I didn't want to talk about. And one of them we've already done. Yes. The other one was this chapter. <laughs> okay. So, okay. And yes. then as an inverse direct result of this, I wrote like 5,000 pages of notes. I know. It's awesome. Chapter. It's terrible. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it is not. Uh, so we had the body chapter. Thank mm-hmm. God that's over. This yeah. to me was the marriage chapter. <laughs> right. Which I kind of would have liked to have skipped except as only Shonda Rhimes does the chapters where she hits me the hardest she also leaves like this jewel that has stayed with me so the quote that made me want to talk about this book was in this chapter yeah so Mm -hmm. I got like pain and then I got this total inspiration of course yes that's Mm -hmm. just how it goes but on page 263 she's talking to a friend of hers who's getting married Mm-hmm. And her friend said, I don't see how you can love weddings this much and not want to get married. And Shonda said, I don't think I'm ever going to want to get married. And that is the problem. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, God. Now, I'm a Southern girl who has a mm-hmm. ton of cousins. I have been to so many weddings. Oh, I can't God. even I can't even count for you the number mm-hmm. of weddings that I have attended. I have been a maid of honor like three times. I've been a bridesmaid. Like that 27 dresses movies? Yeah. yeah. Seriously. <laughs> I <laughs> And I've done poetry readings at weddings uh-huh. for friends. And I used to be a photographer. I have photographed a dozen weddings. Oh, my God. They're just not for me. <laughs> like, I have Okay, m- is it just, can I just say, like, and everybody out there, if you love weddings, that's totally great. Yes. Weddings are horrible. Oh, my God. Right? It, weddings are the like worst. The most stressed I have eloped twice because I hate what I got married twice and I have never had a wedding. There's no way. I went to Vegas and then we went and did like a civil ceremony thing. But yeah, that was a smart plan. Yeah. It's just, it is so not for me. And yeah, like I have never tried on a wedding dress. Not Mm -hmm. once. Me either. I've never thought about it. Mm -hmm. I've never fantasized about being a bride. I have never thought about actually walking down the aisle in any real way. Yep. Like me, who has a soundtrack for everything, including taking a shower <laughs> in the morning, 
I've never done a wedding soundtrack. Like, so have you, you've never wanted to get married? No. Yeah. Ever. Including mm-hmm. the time that I said yes to it. Right. We're like going to talk Shonda, about in a second. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, no. And if I had to, like, if, if intergalactic peace rested <sighs> upon <sighs> me designing a wedding, like, it would be an Oceanside thing, mostly made of music. Uh-huh. Like, that's it. Like, I don't even barefoot and like nothing, right? Yeah. No. And most of my family sees my reluctance around marriage as a big problem, like Mm -hmm. capital P problem. Right. But (laughs) when Shauna talked about growing up when she was a kid on page 266, she said, I did not want to make tiny bunt cakes or sew dresses or wear aprons or shop. I was not interested in playing reality. I wanted to spend my time making stuff up. Telling Mm -hmm. stories, living in my imagination, and nowhere in there was marriage a part of it. But I love romance. I love Mm -hmm. love. And she is the only other woman I have ever encountered who feels the same way that I do about these things. (laughs) And so (laughs) I felt less alone and less crazy Mm -hmm. kind of reading her description. But I also wrote, ouch and ouch. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, I have never really believed much in marriage. And I think it's... This comes from being raised in an, in such an unhappy one and right. having, you know, been brought up with such like broken religious views on marriage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I was engaged once. It did not end well. And mm-hmm. <laughs> like my fiance, who had pretty much like always shared my anti-church heathen views for some reason until he proposed. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think until he told his mother, then like everything changed. And yeah. he decided that his family's religion, which, by the way, was Southern Presbyterian, mm-hmm. and there's no way in hell <laughs> um, <laughs> that that needed to also become mine. And, like, right. this is how much I loved this man. Mm-hmm. I actually tried. Like, wow. I actually tried. Mm-hmm. I met with a pastor and ended up leaving after kind of cussing him out. I went to the first session of this stupid class that they required. It was literally how to be a good wife. It was a freaking class (laughs) that you were supposed to go to for like a month. I lasted like 15 minutes. And after we broke up, I ended up burning the book from that class in a bonfire in my backyard and lighting a cigarette on the flames. And you know how I feel about books. (laughs) I stood there and watched those pages curl, and that is the only book I have ever burned in my life. Oh, my God. I could not. I just couldn't fall in line. And, like, the level of intellectual dishonesty required was so much Mm -hmm. that – and he knew me. I mean, like, I had never – to know me is to know the heathen that I am. Like, I'm never pretending about this. And I finally asked him, like, why in the world – do you want me to marry you with vows I don't believe in? Like, mm-hmm. isn't that the yeah. whole point? <laughs> right. right. If you say the words, shouldn't they be words that mean something to you? And so in the end, we called off the wedding like three weeks before mm-hmm. the date. And so after that, I have always, and kind of even before that, I've always said and, and genuinely believe that I don't want to get married. Like, yeah. Ever. Mm-hmm. Even if I found someone who shares my views and thinks the way I do, even if I found someone who would want a TARDIS wedding cake and poetry instead of a sermon and a beach instead of a church, like, I just 
don't think it's for me. Mm -hmm. Mostly because I believe so much in choice. And I want to be fiercely chosen in love, but I don't want a life partner who is legally required to be there. Yeah. Love me without a contract. Mm -hmm. Show up every day just because you want to, Mm -hmm. you know. But I think this is also because I would be terrible at marriage, (laughs) like well and truly terrible at it. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to lock someone into that mess. Like Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can't, I don't want to do that to somebody. And Mm -hmm. when Shauna talked about her parents' marriage, I can't even imagine. Like I, I can't. I mean, imagine turning to someone in the night and saying, I was just thinking about Maslow and the role of creativity <laughs> in our search for self-actualization. That's like yeah. my version of what her mother said in that chapter, which, yeah. by the way, would be true for me. And hearing <laughs> me too. Like, yeah. that sounds like magic of an impossible kind mm-hmm. to me. And I can't fathom that kind of connection in terms of a lifelong relationship that works the way she described her parents' marriage. Yeah. And like hearing that was for me, like Elizabeth Gilbert's story of kissing Ann Patchett was for you. Right. <laughs> I kind of wanted an affidavit. I'm like, I believe Shonda Rhimes and I know she wouldn't lie to me, but this just seems impossible. Yeah. So I just, I can't, I can't. And it's, people have a hard time understanding this um, mm-hmm. about me. And like, I cannot tell you the number of family members who have, like pull me aside at the corner of family events and been like so have you thought about getting married like and i'm going no not today i'm a single mother with a phd what kind of time do you think i have like (laughs) seriously like (laughs) no (laughs) yeah um so it just it made me feel better Mm -hmm. to hear a woman as confident and self-assured and successful as Shonda Rhimes pretty much articulate exactly how I feel about it. Yeah. Cause I had never encountered that before this book. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't think I ever wanted to get married either. I felt like I should, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I felt like that's the kind of thing. Like I never wanted a wedding. Yeah. I never wanted to get married. Um, when I was younger, I thought the ideal thing would be to have, um, you know, you'd be married, but you'd have separate bedrooms. Oh, hell yeah. You know, get together for sex and then sleep somewhere else, man. Right. So, um, yeah, like, I don't know. I think that I went and I went down that road, I think, because I was I felt like that was, you know, you're supposed to get married. and You're supposed to have kids. And I love my kids. And I'm glad I got married. You know, the mm-hmm. first time I'm glad I got married. Looking back on it, like if I knew what kind of eggs I liked, you know, in that broader philosophical sense when I was younger. Yeah. I may never have gotten married. And I, like I said, if, if someone loves me and wants to be here every day, show up of your own volition. I, mm-hmm. I just don't want it to be a contract. Um, but it was, it was funny though. The big quote for this book, like the one that stayed with me, the thing that made me want to talk about this book, the reason I made you read this book, um, was also in this chapter. And she really talked about this idea within the context of being married, like in the context of having this other person in her house and in her life all the time. And it's on page 277 and it's a really long quote, but I want to include it because just spoke yeah. so directly to yeah. my soul and like in addition to her totally understanding how I feel about marriage like she mm-hmm. totally gets me in terms of this creative space yeah and so she said writing is the hum 
Riding is laying track. Riding is the high. Now imagine that hum, that high, that track to be laid is behind a door. And that door is five miles away. Every time I sit down to write, I have to mentally run those five miles to get to that door. It's a long, hard five-mile run. Sometimes I am almost dead by the time I reach the door. That's why I have to keep doing it. When you sit down to write every day, it becomes easier and easier to tap into that creative space inside your mind. The faster I can get to that door, the quicker I can get to the good stuff. So when I reach that door and open it, that's when my creativity clicks and the special spot in my brain starts working and I go from exertion to exultation and suddenly I can write forever and ever and ever. And then someone opens the door and asks me if I want water or coffee and I am five <laughs> miles away all over again. <laughs> <laughs> that like, is exactly the experience. Right? That is exactly it. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. that five mile metaphor hit me so hard. It is so mm -hmm. real and it is so right. Yeah. And and I suppose it ties into the idea of marriage or partnership because like anyone who ever lived with me would have to not only understand the five mile run, they'd have to have their own version of it. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. I couldn't, I can't imagine that with someone yeah. who doesn't, you know, and on page two, 281, when she broke up with her fiance, she said, I tell him he would resent me and grow to hate me if we got married and I did not make him a priority above my work. And I have no ability to downgrade my creativity and my soul. I have no desire to do so either. Mm -hmm. And that fear is in me too. Because yeah. I can't, first of all, I can't imagine marriage, but I sure as hell can't imagine it without creative collaboration or like side by side creative work. Mm -hmm. And that seems impossible. So and I just can't imagine like that kind of relationship not ending in resentment mm -hmm. because I have no idea what it means to be a good wife. Like that phrase actually makes me flinch. Yeah. Um, I hate the words. Um, mm -hmm. I have no desire to find out what that, <laughs> yeah. what that means. And I think love could be as big a priority for me as creative work, but the two would have to intersect. Mm -hmm. And that feels like an impossible thing. Yeah. Um, and I know I am also incredibly difficult to live with, and I am not joking when I say that. So <laughs> personally, I only know a handful of couples who seem to be truly happily married, and they mm -hmm. operate as a unit, like as a team. Mm -hmm. And it's beautiful to see, but I'm pretty sure it's a dance I just can't learn. Like, I just yeah. don't think it's for me. Um, I mean, hell, I haven't finished my You Must Be This Tallest, and that was back from Rising Strong. Like, that is yeah. how little faith I have in this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. So. No, I don't know. I mean, it's marriage. I, I remember after the first marriage, I said, I'm never getting married again. Mm. I'm never getting married again because I was so bad at it. I was not good at it. Um, And then the second marriage was a, you know, was... Well, abusive. Has, yeah, I, I don't meld, you know, like, I mean, I, I, I melded with number two, because that was what was required. And it was, it wasn't good. It wasn't healthy, you know. Right. Um, but I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to give half of myself to somebody else. You yeah. know, and I've seen people who can do like who have good marriages. Me too. Not a lot. I no. mean, out of all the marriages I know, you know, the number that are truly happy or not, it's not a high number, but, um, but I mean, the thing is like, they, they work really well in a partnership and they have this like openness for each other. And, 
And that's great. But I look at that and I think like, I don't want to spend the rest of my life in a three-legged race attached to somebody else. It's something that's so like, has been such a difficult experience for me, both times for different reasons that I, I think it's an archaic institution. I think it's a crazy institution. Yeah. Um, and I don't really, I don't understand it and I don't want any part of it. You know? Right. And, and I think that that's okay. Like you had to go through your whole life defending the fact that you didn't want to get married. But, you know, I mean, the other option is you get married and it's miserable. Like, I think you went the better way. <laughs> well, everyone related to me would disagree, but well, I... they're wrong. <laughs> But I think it's, and it's not even so much the fear of being bound to someone mm-hmm. else. Um, I am willing to bind, like to, to do that for the, in the right way. Yeah. I just don't think it needs to be a legal obligation. I'm yeah. more concerned about someone being bound to me because I just don't think I'd be good at it. Um, and, but I think like in terms of thinking about a long-term relationship or lack mm-hmm. of a better word, um, I think about what you say about what makes yeah. romance work in story mm-hmm. is having two people who can work together well. Who work really well who, together. You yeah. know, can you work really well together? And so in light of a missing, you must be this tallest, that would be my litmus test. Yeah. You know, because I'm yeah. also not easy to work with. So that would be oh, interesting. Oh, you are too. I am not. <laughs> But I it, work with you every week. You're <laughs> lovely. You're podcasting with me. That's a little different. That's um, work. Well, okay. We we work well together. But yes. I I don't know. I think it would be an interesting thing to to examine. Can that mm-hmm. also exist in a romantic space? Yeah. And I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so we'll see. But I think that like if you go back to music the closest song that has ever even made me slightly wonder is um, Jennifer Nettles singing. It's a song called Just Might by Sugarland. Mm-hmm. And kind of the, the refrain is, you just might make me believe. Yeah. And I do love the idea of it. I just don't think it's really yeah. for me. I just really don't. Yeah. Um, well, you never know. So you know, I we'll mean, see. it's hard to knows? be a, a romantic in that space, but I just, God. And and like I said, if I have to go to any more weddings, like, <laughs> and I'd oh, say yeah. that like one of my best friends got married in May and I drove all the way to Georgia for the mm-hmm. wedding and the wedding was wonderful and it was beautiful mm-hmm. and her marriage is great and I'm so happy for her and the guy's great. It's fantastic. It's a fairy tale. It's a wonderful love story. It does happen. Mm-hmm. I just <laughs> yeah don't think it's. I just don't and think And it may it's not be the right thing for you and that's fine. Yeah. But you know, like I wrote like eight, no, 12 romances, you mm-hmm. know, I wrote 12 and not a single one, I don't think ended in marriage. <laughs> you know, they ended in these people being together yeah. and happy. I love that but about like, your books. <laughs> marriage, like, you know, I, I hate that at the end of the romances when they're like, okay, now they're together. Let's get married. No, right. no. Just enjoy each other for yes. crying out loud. Exactly. You know? Let's go on yeah. a road trip. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, exactly. Right? <laughs> so anyway, so that brings us to the very last chapter of yes. this book, Yes to Beautiful. So what did you get out of this chapter? 
Um, you know, what I liked about this is that it was, it was really her claiming of herself, mm -hmm. you know, that at the end of this whole process, she was willing to see herself as beautiful. She was willing to, to be herself and embrace herself the way that she was. And I really like that on page 299, she says, when I see photos later, I absolutely do believe what I am seeing. The woman I see may be new, but I know her well. I like who she is. I like who she's becoming. I love her. And it is that like this whole process, falling in love with yourself and falling in love with yourself. Isn't this whole, like I'm the best thing in the world and I love me. It is, <laughs> it is self care. It is being kind to yourself. It is knowing what is right for you and pursuing that thing that is right for you. You know, um, putting your needs as high up as everybody else's needs. You know, making sure that you're doing the things that you need to do. Um, and I really like that she got to that point where she recognized that in herself. You know, and it's not it's not that she's just like, I love me and I'm awesome. But she behaves in love with herself. Right. You know, rather than, than being you know, obsessed with herself or like, it's all about me or whatever. She behaves toward that love, you know, cause love really is about, it's not about what you say. It's right. about what you do. It's about how you treat people and to treat yourself with love means to behave in a loving way toward yourself. And she was able to do that. And by the end of this story, she had come full circle and had really completed herself had fallen in love with herself mm -hmm. you know and I and I liked that I thought that was a really nice kind of ending to this to this chapter what did you get out of 15 so I I really like this I mean you know how I feel about critical reflection mm -hmm. right it, <laughs> it lights I me do. up it mm -hmm. lights me up and I think that that she did a great job with that in this chapter mm -hmm. and um on page 295 she sort of went back to the beginning you know she opened yeah. Year of Yes with her sister Dolores saying, you never say yes to anything. Mm -hmm. And then she kind of ended with this bookend of talking to Dolores again. And Dolores said, it was like you needed permission. I'm extremely proud of you. You were joyless. All you ever did was sleep, literally and metaphorically. You were asleep and I was worried. Life is short. Yours seemed really, really short. And now you have completely transformed. You're alive. You're living. Some people never do that. Yeah. And I thought... Sometimes I wonder if I want permission. And if so, like, who the hell can ever possibly give that to me? Ooh, I don't have I a can. big sister. I can give you permission. You what give do you me need? permission. What do you need? <laughs> what do you need? You say like the genie in Aladdin. What do you need? What do you need? What do you need? <laughs> what do you need? <laughs> My favorite one from that permission. movie. <laughs> blanket permission. permission. Whatever it is you need, baby. Blanket you got permission, it. right. Well, I mean, <laughs> we got a permission slip from Brene Brown. We got permission right. slips from Elizabeth Gilbert. Here we have Shonda's sister giving her permission. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, who the fuck do I think I need permission from exactly? Right. Mm -hmm. Then maybe I do. And yeah. maybe that's part of what friends do for each other is, is maybe. give that permission, you know, mm -hmm. to, to change, to pursue joy. Because um, honestly, I have no idea how to do that most of the time. <laughs> so, and then on uh, page 296, I loved this line. Mm -hmm. She said, the one thing I have learned is that I don't know anything. Yes. And I was like, amen and hallelujah. <laughs> because right. the more I learn about any subject, the more mm -hmm. I see how much more there is to learn. 
You know? Right. Mm-hmm. Like you get to the end of your PhD and you realize, I don't know anything. <laughs> like, right. All this mm-hmm. did was show me all this stuff that I don't know. <laughs> right. And, mm-hmm. and that is a very honest, you know, kind of reflection. Um, and then she had these last three closing notes that I thought were especially beautiful. On page 296, she's describing the end of the year of yes. And she said, here I am a more creative writer, a more honest person, both with myself and with everyone else in my life, more adventurous, more open, braver, and kinder to others, but also to myself. The -hmm. cruelty with which I treated myself is no longer tolerated. The pantry doors open. And I like that. On page page 299, she said, who I was, who I am, is just love. Mm -hmm. And she had this, you know, repetition of it's just love all the way through Mm -hmm. the book. Um, which did not end with a wedding, which I liked. Yes. <laughs> and then finally on page 300, she said, I will be happy. I will be worth it. Worth the chocolate factory. Always a work in progress. Always dancing. Always in the sun. Yes. Always dancing in the sun. Yes. 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 And mm-hmm. those ending notes are beautiful and hopeful and badass, just like Shonda Rhimes herself. So I thought it was just a beautiful ending to the book yeah no i thought it was really nice mm-hmm. i liked it a That's lot good yep. wow so we're done we're done with the book i can't believe we're done it. We are we're done. done with all three books all three books god that's crazy these are good books yeah. <laughs> of course remind me if i ever say lonnie day and rich you have to read this book <laughs> to be braced and prepared for my entire life to change because this is not a spell you cast without right. <laughs> thinking about it. Right. You, you threw those books at the wrong girl, baby. <laughs> I threw those books at exactly the right girl. <laughs> All right. So you're ready for homework? I am. Do you have homework for All me? All right. I have homework for you. Okay. What is my I have homework? homework for you. Um, your homework this week is to come up with three things that you need permission for. Ooh. And then I will grant your wishes. I will tell you that you have permission to do those things. Okay. I will be your Dolores. I love you being my Dolores. You can be the big sister I never had. All right. Three things that I need permission for. Mm -hmm. That's funny. I was also thinking about three things for you. Oh, a a little different. Well, three is a magic number. What are you going to make me do? Right. Um, So you were talking about the idea of falling in love with yourself and how that is shown through behavior. Mm-hmm. Right, because God knows love, <laughs> not words, like <laughs> just no, <laughs> right? So it's about action. So mm-hmm. I was thinking that you write three things that you have done or are doing to show mm-hmm. that you're falling in love with yourself. Like advocating okay. for your contacts was a great one. Right. right? No, that's good, but I already did that one, so I can't right. use it now. Well, so you have to, you can either do three new things or think about three things you're currently doing. But I think three okay. things that show love and action okay. for yourself. Okay. I can do that. Excellent. I can do that. I think that'll be good. All right. All well, right. that's it. We are most active on Twitter. So follow hashtag big strong yes for announcements and discussion. Follow me at Lonnie Diane Rich and Kelly at Dr. Kelly Jones. You can also email us at bsy at chipperish.com. 
And if you like Big Strong Yes, here's how you can support the show. Review us on Apple Podcast, tweet at us with the hashtag Big Strong Yes, and support Chipperish at patreon.com slash chipperish, which also gets you into the Discord chat, which is an amazing place to talk about the stories you love and to be part of Team Bad Assery. That's right. (laughs) All right, every week we end with a closing quote. And this week I got to choose and I chose Maya Angelou. There is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. Big Strong Yes is a Chipperish Media production and is entirely funded by listeners like you. To find out how you can support Big Strong Yes and everything Chipperish Media does, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Thanks, y'all.